What's up, everybody? How you doing? Uh, welcome into the season two finale of Crunch Time with Crook. We took a week off. We wanted to get things excited and ready for this week of the podcast slash show. So we really hope you enjoy it. We got a lot of talks going on. The MLB trade deadline just happened and is over with. So we're going to break that down for all of you. We have the NBA free agency that just started today, August 2nd. Uh, Corey Castaneda will be talking about that. The NHL, Stanley Cup just wrapped up, but the next season's right around the corner. Hacksaw Hackett will be back with more talks about that. And then football is also right around the corner. College and NFL, we're going to talk about those as well as sprinkle in a little bit of uh, Olympics for you all. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Before we get too far, we're going to bring in Hacksaw Tim Hackett talking about the NHL. Tim, what do you got? Well, we're only a couple of weeks into the NHL offseason, and so far all I can say is, wow. Hey, Croc, it's Tim Hackett in Kansas City. Thanks, as always, for having me on the show. I'm a little annoyed because the MLB trade deadline the last couple of days has been so epic. I think it's completely overshadowed what I feel has been an incredible NHL offseason so far. So incredible, in fact, that when you asked me to preview this upcoming season and offer my candidates for you know league frontrunners and league MVP and things like that, I don't even know where to begin. The league looks so much different. It will look so much different when the season starts off in a couple of months this fall than how it looked to end the season a month ago, I don't really know where to begin to prepare and to preview the 2021-22 season. So many players have changed. There have been so many trades, a lot of big free agent signings, and of course, one brand new team joining the league, the Seattle Kraken, officially joining in as the 32nd NHL franchise earlier this year, but now finally they get to put the pieces together and actually start to formally build their roster. It was also the beginning of the NHL on ESPN, so a new media rights deal, TNT and Turner Sports is going to get involved with that coming up as well, but the first big event on ESPN's coverage of the NHL moving forward was the expansion draft in Seattle last week. So Kraken general manager Ron Francis, formerly of the Hurricanes, finally put his pieces together by selecting one player from every team in the NHL and starting to build the roster from there. Now we have to pump the brakes a little bit because... Seattle is already being compared to the other team that was built via the expansion draft just a few years ago, the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I think it's entirely reasonable and fair that fans are going to compare those two teams simply because they were built from the same pattern, that expansion draft. But I feel it's a very different situation. The rules were ultimately the same in terms of who was eligible and how many players Seattle could select and all those things. But Seattle approached things very differently, I feel, than how Vegas approached things a few years ago. And also, the expectations on Seattle are just going to be massive because of the similarities of how those two teams were created and introduced to the league. It's just not going to be fair to expect Dave Hackstall and company and with, now that this team has been created, to match or even somehow surpass the success that Vegas has had. They've made the playoffs, remember, in every year of their existence. They made the Stanley Cup final their first year of existence in 2018. There's no way that this Kraken team are going to be able to match that, though, of course, we said that about Vegas before they took the ice for the first time. I think the biggest difference between these two teams is that, especially among the forward group, Vegas selected a lot of guys that 
were not going to fit in with their respective NHL teams that upcoming season. Now, that's obvious. There's a reason that all of those players were left exposed, is the word, left eligible for the expansion draft in the first place. So that's really not a lot of breaking news. But for, for whatever reason, a lot of those guys were not really going to have big spots with their respective teams. And so Vegas picked them up, and a lot of those guys, especially the forwards, relished that identity that they created as misfits, as outcasts in the NHL, and they really turned that into a common bond that almost all of them had, especially in their first year where, again, they made the Stanley Cup final. I don't think that the Kraken have that same identity because, especially among the forwards, they don't really have that same experience. A lot of these guys, just like Vegas, these forwards, do not have a lot of consistent roles in the NHL. But unlike the Vegas guys who at least had played across the board in the NHL before, a lot of these forwards that Seattle picked up have barely played in the NHL at all. I mean, they're young guys, 22, 23, around there, that really haven't cracked NHL rosters consistently. Now, I think their defense was really strong. I love what they did, bringing in Mark Giordano, the former captain of the Calgary Flames. Sure, he's on the opposite side of you know, the good part of his career, but I really love that pick. I like what they did with their goaltending, and they made their goaltending even better by getting one of the best free agent acquisitions of the offseason so far, Philip Grubauer from the Colorado Avalanche. I have no idea how the Avalanche decided to let him go. They tried to offset that by trading for Darcy Kemper, but I think that is a big setback for the Avalanche. I think Grubauer is much better. This was the best season of his career, yes, so maybe Joe Sackick and company are relying on the fact that Grubauer doesn't have the same kind of success wherever he ended up going, but I think it's a good pickup for Seattle. He and Chris Dreger are going to be a really solid one, too. I mean, I expected Dreger to be the starter after the expansion draft, but clearly they weren't uh, comfortable with just that, and they bring in Grubauer to help reinforce that position a great move. A couple of other moves that I thought were significant. Seth Jones going from the Blue Jackets to the Blackhawks, who were very busy this offseason. Seth Jones is a former number one defenseman for the Blue Jackets. That will help Chicago completely reshape their team. Chicago also gets Marc-Andre Fleury. Remember Grubauer, one of the Vezina finalists. Fleury, one of the other three Vezina finalists. So he's on the move from the aforementioned Vegas Golden Knights. I don't really understand that. They really didn't get anything for him either, Vegas, so clearly they were not really interested in bringing him back, and now the early reports are that Fleury is weighing his future in the NHL. I don't really know if he even plans to play for Chicago this year. Close to home, Carolina has been a very busy team. You mentioned Ron Francis, obviously, the former general manager there. They have made a lot of moves. I think bringing in Ethan Bear from the Oilers was good. And my guys, the Boston Bruins re-signing Taylor Hall was an absolute step in the right direction. But David Krejci retiring and Tuka Rask's future in question leaves two huge question marks on the future of the Boston Bruins this upcoming season. I am really looking forward to the rest of the NHL offseason. I don't think we've seen the last of the big moves. And I'm not even sure how we're going to move from here as we get ready for 2021. Thanks a lot, Kruk. We'll see you soon. It will be an exciting season of NHL to watch next season, so make sure you watch it and make sure that you watch the podcast for the start of next season and everything that you need to know about it. Before we get into basketball talk, we're going to talk about the MLB trade deadline and what you may have missed because it was an exciting trade deadline. So Chris Bryant went to the Giants, and we've all we've all known that Chris Bryant was not happy with the Cubs, but he had large talks with the Mets constantly wanting to go to the Mets, wanting to go to that NL East, and then all of a sudden he goes to the NL West. It's still not Chicago, so he's happy, but 
the Giants are a great team. The Giants picked up a great player who's a multiple position player too. So the Giants definitely won the trade. The Cubs went full rebuilding when they got rid of Bryant. They got rid of Rizzo and they got rid of Baez. Everybody's gone. They got rid of Craig Kimbrell to the White Sox. So he doesn't really have to move. He just has to go to a different stadium for practice and games. Uh, Ryan Tapera, they got rid of him too. Uh, Chafin, he is gone. They really just cleaned house. Anybody with value is on the next bus out of Chicago and probably already at their new stadium. Looking at it down the list too, the Royals got Jorge Soler being in Kansas City for the majority of the year. Jorge Soler was a well-liked player. Not as well-liked as, you know, some of the Whit Merrifields or the Salvador Perez's, but people liked him because he could absolutely smoke the ball out of the out of the field. There was no chance when he made contact. Good contact. It was a home run. John Lester and J.A. Happ are both going to the Cardinals. Lester just left uh, Chicago not more than a year ago to go to the Nationals, and now he's going back into the same division. He's going to be playing with the Cardinals, so that's something interesting to really be on the lookout for. As mentioned, Baez left the Cubs. He is now with the Mets, and being with the Mets, they now have the top two shortstops, in my opinion. They have the top two of the top five shortstops. I'll put it that way. Baez, great shortstop. He's not going to swing at strikes. He's going to swing at pitches that he wants to swing at. But when he makes contact, it's usually a long ball or a very solid hit. And then defensively, he makes spectacular plays. Sometimes has trouble with the easy plays, but makes spectacular plays. Francisco Lindor at shortstop is probably one of the best shortstops in the game right now. And I'd arguably put him top one or two. But just really breaking down what they're doing here, Francisco Lindor can play second, short, or third. Javier Baez can play second, short, or third. He has played first base one time. It was He was okay. But they have, you know, polar bear Pete Alonso covering first base and just absolutely moonshotting baseball so none of them have to worry about playing first base they have Jeff McNeil when he's healthy at second base that's really good so those two are either going to take turns at shortstop because I know the Mets are not satisfied with the way Francisco Lindor is performing this year they thought they would get a World Series type Francisco Lindor but they're not really getting that early on in the season and they weren't happy with it but now that he's kind of come out of his shell and playing a little bit better possibly that I could see them putting Baez at third maybe even in like left field or right field if he can show that he can play that outfield position but the Mets are really stacked with Jacob deGrom uh, Conforto Jeff McNeil Baez Lindor Pete Alonzo they're definitely going to win the NL East but I don't know if they ever exactly a playoff caliber team because out of the bullpen or excuse me on the rotation they really only have one great pitcher and that's Jacob DeGrom every other pitcher is a decent enough pitcher but he does get hit around on his occasion moving down the list Kimbrell has been moved to the White Sox and that's not such a hard trade for him you know just basically flipping sides of Chicago going from the north side to the south side 
But, you know, Cubs fans do not like White Sox fans. There's like a list of fans that nobody likes. Number one is the Yankees. Nobody likes the Yankees because all Yankees fans ever say is 26 rings. And it gets old. Nobody likes the Cardinals because, you know, even when the Cardinals don't have good players, they still somehow are good. It's like that old adage in all of sports, you know, you may not be the best players, but if you try hard enough, you'll be good. Somehow the Cardinals make it work. The Cardinals could have nobody on their team and they'd try hard enough and be good. So nobody likes Cardinals. And then if you're a Cubs fan, you hate the White Sox. Hate them. You don't like them. Like you'd wish that they moved out of Chicago, you know, back in the 1920s, you know, back before they got good. But Kimbrel's going over there, so now they have two of the top eight or nine closers in the league because Kimbrel can pitch well when he wants to pitch well. Believe me, he is a great closing pitcher out of the bullpen. And then Liam Hendricks has proven it last year being relief pitcher of the year or closer of the year. I don't know the exact verbiage on it. And then this year just been setting the world on fire as well. Their first performance together Hendricks had two strikeouts in the ninth, and then Kimbrell had a one, two, three inning in the eighth. So playing together greatly, both of them doing outstanding things for their respective clubs. But moving down the list, um, the Blue Jays are sending Burrios to the Twins, and Burrios was having a great year as a pitcher. I don't know why you'd get rid of them. The Twins have a chance. I don't think their return was good enough, but. The Minnesota Twins, they're up in Minnesota, eh? You know, they got their own thing going on. Uh, the Brewers are finalizing a deal to get Norris uh, from the Tigers out of the bullpen. That's really one of the few spots that the Brewers need uh, players is really just that bullpen area. Their rotation this year, somehow, I don't know what happened, but their rotation is borderline, you know, Dodgers rotation now that they got Max Scherzer. And it's, it's insane. I As a Brewer fan, I didn't see this one coming. But, you know, Woodruff, Peralta, Burns. Did not expect this out of any of them. But, hey, I'll take it if I can get it, right? Uh, Schwarber is now with the uh, Red Sox. He's another Cubs player who went to the Nationals with John Lester. And now he is leaving the same time as John Lester is to go to the Red Sox. And you'll remember he hit 18 home runs in 16 games. An absolute tear back in, I believe it was June or July, somewhere in there. Absolutely phenomenal. And the Red Sox, the, you know, Nationals are like, yeah, we're done with him. They traded him to the Red Sox. So when he's back and when Chris Sale's back, that's going to be a nasty offense-defense-pitching combination right there. But... I predict that he will end up playing first base. Now, hear me out on this. I'm going to go on a little tangent like I normally do, but I'm going to let you know in advance. They need a first baseman. I thought that they should have went for Anthony Rizzo before the Yankees did because first base is really that spot they need. Outfield, they have a decent enough outfield, you know. Like J.D. Martinez is a DH, but he can play left field if he wants to because he's got a monster 
to help him out. You know, the monster cuts away like a third of the outfield for him. Every other outfield position they've got covered for the most part. You know, they don't have Mookie Betts out there anymore, but they have a decent replacement. And Schwarber's not the fastest guy in the world, but he is a big target. He's got a good glove. You know, he used to be a catcher. If you train him how to be a first baseman, that would be pretty good because, you know, just a little bit more flexibility with him to really do that first baseman split. You know, he's got a good glove. Being a catcher, he can catch catch it all the time. I think he'd be a really good first baseman for the Red Sox. Now, will they put him there? Probably, probably not this season, though. I could see it coming back next season as a first baseman. Moving down the list, uh, huge trade. Dodgers get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And, you know, the Dodgers, they don't care about the salary cap. That's being blatantly obvious at this point. But, you know, I just... It's almost like a super team. Stephen A. Smith was talking about it, and, you know, he was... He was saying the best team in L.A. is no longer the Lakers. Even though they have Russell Westbrook now, the best team in L.A. is no longer the Lakers. It is the Dodgers. The Dodgers are just absolutely destroying every other team that they possibly can at this point. And it's kind of sad, you know. Uh, Looking at the breakdown for their depth chart, Trey Turner is still hurt. So, you know, he won't be playing second base so that's still going to be chris taylor but looking at their infield they if everybody's healthy they have max muncie trey turner justin turner Corey seager the outfield is bellinger Betts, and aj pollock and chris turner is basically the league's utility guy because he can play just about anywhere so he's going to be filling in for trey turner until he gets back they're Rotation is Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, and then Tony Gonsolin is on the uh, 10-day IL. But that, that is just, that is about as L.A. as it gets. Just so many big names, so many huge, you know, possibilities there. If they don't win the World Series, it will be the... Probably not the most expensive team because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it'll be one of the most talented teams not to win the World Series at that point. The Yankees got Anthony Rizzo, as I've been talking about, with all the Cubs leaving. And it's a sad day to be a Cubs fan because he went on quote, and I'm going to misquote it, but I still have to say it. He said, if the ship is sinking, I want to be on the boat. If the house is burning down, I want to be in the house. He didn't want to leave, guys. He did not want to leave the Cubs. He was, now this is very old information, don't know if it's still true, but somebody said that he was willing to take a smaller deal just to stay with the Cubs next season because he would have been a free agent. Now that they traded him, I don't know, because, you know, you trade a guy like this, that's tough. I I don't know if he'd want to come back. You know, he said, I don't want to leave, and they sent him away. That's that's tough. He's been making the most of it with the Yankees, though. First two games, he had two home runs, both of them massive shots. In his third game, he had a game-tying RBI and then managed to come around and score as the uh, leading, take the lead. Uh, 
So, doing a great job over there with the Yankees. Uh, he's probably going to be filling in for Luke Voigt until he gets back. And then Luke Voigt will probably actually fill in for DH. Rizzo's defense is a lot better than uh, Luke Voigt's. Daniel Duffy went to the Royals. Duffy is another lifetime Royal who everybody seemed to like. Um, sad to see him go. Uh, moving down the list, Joey Gallo is going to the Yankees. And I really like this trade, you know? I've been saying for about a year and a half, the Texans just got to go full rebuild mode because they tried, they couldn't do it. And just holding on to these players is what's killing them right now. You you got to go full rebuild. You know, not everybody's going to be like the Cubs and have a 108-year rebuilding period. You know, the Texans, they might have like a 10, maybe 12-year rebuilding period before they make a deep run at the playoffs again. But it's going to be without Joey Gallo. So now that they got rid of him, I think they finally like might start to be realizing that that is what they have to do the Padres uh have acquired all-star Adam Frazier from the Pirates and now that infield stacked as well because you got Adam Frazier Manny Machado Fernando Tatis Jr. Jacob Cronesworth Eric Hosmer five people trying to play four positions Frazier will probably be playing in the outfield along with you know Trent Grisham and the other two are slipping my mind right now but I mean that's another loaded team in California, and that's going to be a fun battle for the NL, the NL West, because you got three teams who are all in the top five of the MLB right now that are all in the same division. That's going to be very interesting to look at. Um, old news, but I'm still going to talk about it. Nelson Cruz goes to the uh, Rays. He's been playing pretty good with them. Uh, not terrible. Uh, Peterson went to the went to the Braves a while back when uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt, and then um, the Braves also got uh, voked from the uh, D back from the Diamondbacks for a first base prospect as well. So I mean, just going through that, it took about 15 minutes to get through the MLB trade deadline. That's insane. It's gonna shake up the entire MLB for sure. You know, there's some times where, you know, a trade deadline's not that interesting. This one was very interesting. No matter what fan, no matter what team you cheer for, this one was very interesting. While we got the time, we're going to go over and talk about the MLB uh, standings. So right now, um, looking at the overall standings, these facts are accurate on ESPN as of 3 o'clock August 2nd. The number one team is the San Francisco Giants, followed by the Astros, the Rays, the Dodgers, and then the Milwaukee Brewers rounding out the top five. Making its way down the list, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Padres, the Athletics, and the Yankees. So I did misspeak earlier. The Padres are not a top five team. On the MLB ranking, they are. On the ESPN ranking, they are at number eight. So bit of a difference there and it's just it's tough that is it the nl the nl west is going to be a tough division to try to win if you're in it you know you're either really good or really bad if you're in that division because you look at it the rockies and the diamondbacks basically gave up 
basically gave up on that whole season after about 20 games. So they're not they're not doing so hot. They could turn it around eventually, but I don't think that's likely. Uh, the Yankees, the Yankees are sitting. Uh, they're sitting pretty right now. They're you know they're not too far back, but with the addition of Rizzo, that only puts them at right around the ten spot. So they could potentially make. You know, they could potentially make the uh, playoffs, but it's tough because right now they're two and a half games back behind the Athletics. And I don't I don't know if the Athletics are going to lose enough games to put that at risk. So the Yankees, even with the addition of Rizzo, may still be out of the playoffs. Uh, before we go to the Olympics and further on we're going to catch up with Corey Castaneda with the last edition of Basketball Talk. Corey what do you got? And by the way nice shirt. Thanks for having me back on the show for the last episode we have some NBA news going on we also have some trades that I'm going to be covering and we also have the draft from a couple days ago in addition to that I'm going to be covering the awards that might go on so I'm going to get into that for MVP I think that it could be Steph He's coming off a great year last year, was in the MVP conversation. Some thought he should have won it. The Warriors are getting Clay back, and they're going to have more of a full team. They're definitely going to need a push from Steph in order to get these rookies to fit in better and to make a big playoff push. The dark horse, I think, is Devin Booker. He really showed a lot in the finals, and his ability... Just throughout the playoffs to get open shots and nail them and his way to play in the clutch. I think that is going to work in his favor in the regular season in the MVP case for him. So I think he could really be a dark horse for that category. For Defensive Player of the Year, I think it could be Rudy Gobert. It's usually either him or Giannis every year. But he won it last year, so I think he can keep that momentum going in this year. For my dark horse, I have Draymond. The last time he won was in 2016. And if the Warriors want to make a push to, in the deep in the playoffs, they definitely need him to step it up. So I think if they can, if the Warriors do good this season, I think that'll push more of a defensive player of the year case for him. For rookie of the year, I have Kate Cunningham. One reason for that is he was the number one pick by far. It was definitely known this whole time that he'd be the number one pick. And much like Zion, if he didn't get hurt, he probably would have been the, been the rookie of the year. He even got a couple of votes for rookie of the year, even though Ja Morant won it last year. So I think he has that going for him. And he's also playing a bad Pistons team, so I think that can make him look even better, especially if he can help them win maybe just 10 more games that are looking for him. My dark horse for that category is Davion Mitchell. He was pick number nine and I think he really shows his aggressiveness that none of the other rookies really have. He's also 22 years old so he's really more of a man compared to the other rookies. The other rookies are usually 18 or 19 years old. So he's probably going to be more well adjusted to the physicality of the game and I think he could really be a dark horse for that category, especially if he keeps up the aggressiveness. 
For the champs, I think it could either be the Nets or the Lakers this upcoming year. The Lakers just got Russell Westbrook, so they'll have him, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. That's quite a trio. The Nets also have a trio of their own with Kyrie, uh, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. So good trios from each of the teams. I think either of them could win it. Obviously, the Nets lost to the Bucks last year. They were shorthanded, but they really showed a fight, even though they had a hobble, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant played really good, and if he can do that with two other healthy star teammates, I think that'll definitely make them finals contenders. My dark horse for that category is the Utah Jazz. I think they'd really surprise some teams, especially if Donovan Mitchell keeps going on this great that he's been going of getting better. They also have Mike Conley. He's pretty good, and he really has some veteran leadership, I think, that he can provide to the team. Rudy Gobert will also be there. He'll be in the post defending. I think that can be an advantage because then you can have point guards for the Jazz right up guarding people like Chris Paul or hounding the other team's point guards. So I think that is definitely something that they can use their advantage and might even be a dark horse. I would say that the Clippers could be a dark horse, but I think after they surprised everybody and went to the conference finals with just Paul George as their star player, I think that they wouldn't really be considered a dark horse, especially if they're getting Kawhi back. But going into that, Kawhi just turned down a $36 million player option. He will become a free agent. Kawhi doesn't really speak on stuff like that. He doesn't. You can't really tell what his thoughts are. So I think he could sign anywhere really, but if he signs back, it's probably going to be for more money, and that might be one of the reasons why he didn't take that option. But if they get him back, then I don't think they'll be considered a dark horse. But that's why I didn't have the. While we're on the category of free agents, Chris Paul turned down a $44 million option, so he's going to be a free agent. It was rumored for them that he would sign with the Lakers, but now with Russ being traded there, I'm not sure if that would impact his decision or not. But that is definitely something to keep an eye out. Somebody else to keep an eye out for is Spencer Dinwiddie. He opted out of his contract. He's a pretty good player, really nice player, but the finals or the playoffs run without him that the Nets had, I don't think really made a case for why they should keep him. But he's definitely a great pickup for any teams that might want him. John Collins is becoming a restricted free agent. The Hawks put the restriction on him by matching an offer. So they're definitely showing interest that they want to keep him. But he was pretty, a pretty big part in the playoffs run for the Hawks, so I don't see why they wouldn't let why they would let him go. But he's definitely a player that if you have the money for him and you can buy him out of his contract, definitely a good player to get. Kyle Lowry is also a free agent, so that'd be a good pickup for any teams. And lastly, Lonzo Ball is also a free agent. The Bulls have shown quite a bit of interest in getting him. Actually, we have one more free agent to talk about, Jared Allen. He's restricted and on the Cavs. I think he'd be a great center. He has a lot of upside to him, and I think he'd fit well with a team like the Knicks. So he's another guy to keep an eye on, but I think that the Cavs will be successful in re-signing him. Finishing off with a couple trades I could see with Bradley Beal. I think he could go to the Celtics. The Celtics have some assets they could give up. 
And they also have Brad Stevens as their general manager, I believe. He is very smart, basketball-minded, and I think that he can definitely pull off a trade like that. Another potential spot I could see Bradley Beal going to is Heat. I think the Heat could trade Duncan Robinson and then a couple picks later on for him, as long as Bradley Beal consider, continues to show disinterest in the Wizards. The Heat could definitely use him to go along with Jimmy Butler, and they would also keep Tyler Harrow, who's a pretty good shooter. So those are a couple spots I could see him going to. Another trade I could see is possibly Tianja Russell going to the Celtics. He's a relatively cheap point guard, but he's really good, and I think that Celtics could benefit from him. If they have Jason Tatum play more of a forward spot and DeAndre Russell take the ball off the court to replace Kemba, they can maintain that pace that they like to play at, but also have a little bit more flashiness that comes with DeAndre Russell, and they also wouldn't have to have Jason Tatum take the ball off the whole time. I could also see him going to the Wizards to replace Bradley Beal if they get rid of him, or even stay with Bradley Beal. I think the two might be able to play well together, but it all depends on Bradley Beal, to be honest, because he definitely didn't like John Wall being there with him, so I think he could go there as long as Bradley Beal's fine with him. I could also see him going to most teams. I included him because he's known for being traded quite a bit. But he's definitely a really good point guard that you can get for very few assets, and I think that he can definitely benefit any team. I could also see the Hawks trading for another good player to go along with Trey Young. They definitely need him, or need another good player. If they want to get past teams like the Bucks or the 76ers, if the 76ers are able to bounce back. And the way that late round picks and other picks, like first round picks, are just tossed around. I think they could definitely pull it off. Atlanta Colts, Carson Wentz uh, is out for the season and a renewed, a revised summary is that he's only out for 5 to 12 weeks. Uh, he had a foot surgery and it sounds like it went well. He's going to be back soon, but you know, Carson Wentz is just injury prone. And this isn't me being the fantasy football, you know, doctor guy. But every year it seems like he gets hurt. Or every year he just isn't good. So, best of luck for Carson Wentz. I never like to see a guy get injured and then, you know, waste a career. That's not the kind of person I am. Even if I don't like the person or the team, I never want you to see you get injured or hurt. That's just not the kind of person I am. All right, moving forward, we're going to talk about the Olympics. Uh, Megan Ropine, uh, she's a U.S. women's soccer player. For those who don't know, um, she is the girl with the purple hair. It's the easiest way to explain it for people who don't know. Uh, she's also the captain. She went to the uh, FIFA World Cup with um, the rest of the team. And honestly, she's a really good player. But... They lost to Canada one to nothing in the Olympic semifinals, and you know now they're going for bronze or copper bronze. Yeah, I think it's bronze. Yeah, let's go with bronze. And you know it's, she said it is a bitter one to swallow, but you know it's it's just tough. You know these these players won the FIFA World Cup by a landslide. They were absolutely amazing. And then, you know, two years later, they try to 
run it back in the Olympics and they just can't do it. And it's it's like watching your heroes fall. I'm not a huge soccer fan. I'm not even a huge, you know, women's soccer fan. But still, this is just something that you don't want to see. It's like watching your favorite player get hurt. Like when Brian Urlacher sat out an entire season with a broken thumb. I was so sad. I, I was young, but I was still so sad, you know. Like that's a guy that everybody looks up to for, you know, Chicago area. And he's sitting out because he's hurt. It's a sign of the times. He's just getting old. Is this a sign of the times for the, you know, certain women's soccer group? I believe it is. I believe that they sent an old group when they should have sent some younger players, some more, you know, faster, quicker, more agile players. You know, these players are smart, right? They play well together, but it's just... They, they had too much experience and not enough skill at the end of the day to wrap it up. Uh, moving forward with another um, fun fact, or not fun fact, but another topic at the Summer Olympics. Simone Biles has been catching a lot of grief about sitting out due to um, mental health um, on the gymnastics. And I honestly, I applaud her for that, you know. Some people some people believe that I am a sport first, health second player or person, commentator, whatever whatever you want to categorize me as, but I don't. Mental health is something that a lot of people you know, really really strive to get. You know, it's hard for some people to, you know, battle their depression, battle their anxiety battle their uh, ADHD, ADD, OCD, you know, all these different things that, you know, the pressure that's put on them. And it's it's hard for players. You know, Michael Phelps came out and said, hey, before I swam, I had the same exact thing going on. And it was hard for me to get over it when I was younger. When I got older, you know, I knew it was coming so I could prepare for it. But when I was younger, it was hard. Simone Biles in her first Olympic Games was more or less an underdog who just came out and said, hey, I'm going to win it. And she did it. Four years later, she comes back after having almost no pressure, like no Olympic-sized media following her that much. Like, yeah, she had media because she's the best gymnast in the world, but there's not people from every country, every language asking her every question, asking her, some demeaning questions because she didn't do something right, you know, that's hard. And the pressure got to her. It also didn't help that the Olympic Committee really, from, you know, for lack of a better word, screwed her over. They said, hey, your routine, it's too hard for anybody else to do. They could hurt themselves if they do your routine. So we're going to force you to dumb down your routine. A, that is some garbage because if you're better than everybody else, you might as well give her the gold and let everybody else fight over silver. B, you're forcing her to change her routine three weeks before the four-year-apart Olympics, right? These Olympics are four years apart. This one was five, you know, COVID and whatnot. But four years, every four years, they train the same routine over and over and over and over to do it one time at the Olympics. And they said, nope. You got to change it. 
that's some garbage. And then when she actually tried to change her routine, you could tell she wasn't used to it. And that's why she was fumbling. She was falling. She was getting faults. And that's, oh, that just, that rattles my bones. You know, it's, that's not nice to do to somebody, especially somebody who you are calling the GOAT. You're calling the greatest of all time at gymnastics. You're forcing them to be less than what they can possibly be. And that's just wrong. Rude. It's wrong. And I am not a fan of the Olympic Committee for that. So if the Olympic Committee is watching, shame on you. But she will compete in the uh, beam final. So that's good to hear. She's finally back on her feet. She withdrew from the all-around competition, which she was favored to win. She withdrew from the team competition. Uh, She withdrew from most of the individuals except for the beam, which she will compete in. So... Uh, good luck to Simone Biles. Uh, have fun. Whatever happens, most of America's behind you. And those who aren't, tough for them. Uh, looking at the Olympic medal counter as of right now, USA is leading it at 64 medals. USA has 22 gold, 25 silver, and 17 bronze. In second is China with 29 gold, 17 silver, and 16 bronze. And then in third, which a lot of people have had uh, questions about this for, but I'll explain it to you if you have. Uh, The ROC is the Russian Olympic Committee. Back in, you know, Russia's height in the Olympics, they were called the USSR, you know, the, the Soviet Union, if you will. When they broke up, the Olympics said, hey, we don't want to have this many teams because, you know, some of them are only going to bring one athlete to the Olympics or, you know, three athletes to the Olympics. Like, we don't want that. So Russia, all the little separate countries that you divided into, you're all going to perform together, right? Understandable. You know, it may be some hard feelings over there, but it's understandable for a guy like me. They have 12 gold, 21 silver, and 17 bronze. And, you know, that's that's a really good medal count for the USA. You know, being in first, you know, in terms of total, in total medals, but being in second in terms of gold. China is winning with 29 gold, but USA is in second with 22 gold. Um... But yeah, it's it's honestly been a really fun Olympics to watch. There's a lot of a lot of fun different, you know, like events going on like uh handball, water polo, badminton, uh table tennis or ping pong, whatever you call it, beach volleyball, normal volleyball. There's a lot of these events that you don't see on the mainstream media that much. And you know, it's more or less like in ESPN, the Ocho type of sport, if you will. But it's fun to see them because people train their whole lives to get good at this game. And, you know, they only get three weeks of TV every four years. So I like to see it. I like watching these people perform, just have a great time. And that's going to wrap it up for the Olympics. Before we go, every season, uh, I buy crunch time with crook jerseys last season uh they looked like the white stripes with the red lettering i wore it 
I wore it on the season finale last year. Uh, if you watch it on YouTube, if you don't watch it on YouTube and you just listen to it, you're not going to know what the jersey looks like. So go on YouTube. But this season, this is one of the jerseys, purple and gold crunch time. The other jersey is the black one that Corey Castaneda is wearing, and it's black and orange, and it also says crunch time with their names on the back. Yes, this year we broke down and we paid the extra money to put names on the back. Um, so it's super fun. I love love getting everybody involved. The jersey is just a way of me saying thank you. And, uh, you know, it's not really a participation trophy, but it's a way of me saying thank you for all the effort, all the time, and I just love to do it. This has been the season finale of Crunch Time with Cruck, uh, season two. We will be back in a few weeks with season three. So until you hear the word from me, I'll see you in a little bit. This has been Jacob Krugenberg. Watch sports. Watch sports.